Amen, amen, amen. Isn't God good? Amen. Today, well, we come to the conclusion of our study in the book of Ruth. We're going to cover the last part of chapter 4. I'll say this at the outset. There are five verses on the end of chapter 4 that contain the genealogy of David. And while that's an integral part of this story, we'll cover it in our our talk through the pre the verses that come before it. I'm, I'm just going to kind of excise those last five verses. We will be covering Ruth chapter 4 beginning in verse 13 through verse 17 to complete the story of Ruth. Amen? And it is an ending to that story that is remarkably different than its beginning. This is a story, if you'll remember, that began with sorrow and now it ends with rejoicing. It started with devastating death, but now it ends in the beauty of birth and new life. It began in the evening time of life as the cloudy, stormy night descended on Naomi. But now it ends with the dawning of a new day with new life and new hope for everyone involved. That's the way we like our stories to end. Amen? We, we all like a story that has a good ending. In the story of Ruth, we are reminded, though, that the difference between a bad ending and a good ending is the blessings of God. It is the gospel that brings good news into a life that's filled with hopelessness. It is the gospel that changes our direction, that transforms our night into day, that turns old, worn-out stories of brokenness and despair into new stories of restoration and life and hope. That's what God does. Amen. He takes bad beginnings and makes some good endings. He takes that which was intended to destroy and makes it into something that is a blessing and a benefit. Amen? And we see that displayed in several ways in the book of Ruth. First of all, we saw last week, our last time, that it takes redemption to transform a bad ending, or bad beginning, into a good ending. It was the work of redemption that brought about this wonderful ending we're going to talk about this morning. It was redemption that lifted Ruth from the low place where she began to the pinnacle of joy and peace where she ended. Through the story of Ruth, we're reminded that through redemption, our stories can be transformed. Through redemption, our life doesn't have to stay where it is. Your story doesn't have to end where it is right now. Redemption changes all of that. Amen? Through the grace of God, wherever you find yourself this morning, you can find a good ending to your story through Jesus Christ. Through the grace of God, no matter what the condition is of your life, no matter what your past is, no matter what your history is, you can find a good ending in Jesus Christ. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that? Somebody in this place ought to be able to lift your hand and testify. Amen. I made some bad choices. I did some stupid things. I got myself in a bad way, but the Lord didn't leave me there. Amen. The grace of God. God came in and redeemed me. He lifted me out of a miry clay. He set my feet on a rock to stay. Amen. He gave me a good ending for my bad story. Amen. And we also see in the story of Ruth that a good ending is the direct result of new birth. 
It was a newborn child that brought a good ending to the story. Amen. It was a newborn child that brings about this rejoicing that we see at the end. And that's the way it is in your life. Amen. It's a new life that transforms the old life. It's new birth that rights the wrongs uh, and turns a bad beginning uh, into a good ending. Uh, Amen. It takes new birth. Amen. Perhaps you remember the story of Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night and declared his faith in Jesus. I'm going to pick up in John chapter 3 and verse 3, and I'm going to get to Ruth in just a minute. Amen. But John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Amen. you got to be born again. That's how you turn a bad beginning into a good ending. Amen. That which is born of flesh will always be flesh. And as long as you pursue the things of the flesh, you're going to stay in your bad story. Amen. But when you turn to that which is spirit, uh, in the spirit there's life. Uh, in the spirit there's hope. Uh, in the spirit there's restoration. Uh, in the spirit there's new life. Amen. In that new birth. The last sentence that Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That word you, we translate it in the English, you can have multiple meanings. It can be you singular or you plural. The Greek doesn't have that problem. Whenever you put a, a, and this is as a student of the Greek language, this is one of the things that confounds you, makes it difficult to learn Greek, amen, is that they have different endings for the same Uh, pronoun that indicate whether it is plural or singular, first person or third person, amen, where it falls in all this. There's a number and a gender and a case to every single word, and it changes the ending of the word. And this particular word, you, is in a plural ending. What that means is that Jesus wasn't just addressing Nicodemus. He wasn't just saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That you was plural, amen. That's you all. Uh, That's every man, woman, and child that ever lived. Uh, You must be born again. That's you and that's me because that's where good endings come from, amen. You have to be born again. So let's look at Ruth's good ending. Beginning in verse 13 of Ruth chapter 4, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. So our narrator begins this final section of the book of Ruth by compressing at least nine months into a single verse. Amen. In a single verse, we discover that first Boaz married Ruth, 
that that made the fulfillment of the promise that he made. That was that was the fulfillment of what he said he would do. He demonstrated that his word was good. Amen. Aren't you thankful that Hebrews chapter ten and verse twenty three tells us that he that promised uh, is faithful. Amen. What he said he'd do, he's gonna do it. Uh, he always comes through. He always does what he said he will do. Amen. And having married Ruth, the scripture tells us that Boaz went in unto her. That's an idiom for the consumption of the consummation of the marriage. Amen. And as their marriage was consummated, the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. Now, on the surface, when you read that, it's easy to just kind of gloss over it. It doesn't really seem that remarkable. But if you'll stop and remember the story. Amen. Beginning way back at the very beginning, Ruth was married to Malon, the son of Naomi, for 10 years in the prime of her youth, and she failed to conceive a child. There was no son born of that marriage. It leads you to the conclusion that Ruth must have been unable to conceive. She was barren, if you will. Amen. But now the, the narrator doesn't just say, amen, they consummated their marriage and she became pregnant. Uh, the narrator says, God gave her conception. Uh, the language there is the language of giving a gift. Uh, amen. It's almost as if the narrator is saying, this is God's wedding gift to Ruth and Boaz. Uh, his, it's his way of pointing out that a, a miracle has transpired. Uh, amen. God gave them this child. Uh, God gave her uh, this, this uh, conception. Amen. It's an narrator's way of saying, uh, amen, that once again, God's done uh, what he's done before in Scripture. The barren woman uh, has produced a child. Uh, amen. And the narrator rightly gives credit to God for that tremendous development. Let me tell you something about God. When He changes your life, He revives the hopes and dreams that have been dead for many years. He, he restores passion and purpose that has long since faded away. The Bible promises that He will restore to you the years that you've lost. Amen. No doubt Ruth had already reconciled herself to the fact that she would never be a mother. She would never have a child. And all that talk about a kinsman redeemer and carrying on the line of Malon, it was never really a possibility in her mind that she would have a son that would carry on the line of Malon. This was about marrying Boaz, amen? This was about her security and the security of Naomi. She never, ever thought that she could have a child, uh, but the grace of God uh, changed everything. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God, uh, amen? He stepped in uh, and he changed the circumstances. He changed the situation. He opened the door that no man could open. And what he did for her, he will do for you. Amen. He'll transform your life. Amen. He can make old things brand new if only you'll let him. Amen. He can put you on the right path. He can take things and restore them and renew them and make them better than they were before if only you will let him. Amen. Verse 14 says, And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. So when the women of Bethlehem hear about the birth of a son to Ruth and Boaz, 
they go not to Ruth, but to Naomi and say, Blessed be the Lord, which has not left thee. That statement, and I know that there's more words to that, but I'm going to stop right there because that statement has to be interpreted in light of Naomi's statement at the very beginning of the story. And if you weren't with us at the beginning, if you don't remember uh, the story of Ruth, when they came back from Bethlehem after Malon and, and, and his brother had died and Elimelech had passed away and Naomi was bitter and broken and empty and she decided to go back to Bethlehem and Ruth pledged to go with her. When they came to Bethlehem, if you remember those women, the same women that we're talking about here, they came came out and they met Naomi as she was coming into the city and and and, and they and they came to her and, and they said is it really you Naomi is this really the Naomi that left so many years ago and Naomi's response revealed the condition of her heart. It, her, her response came from the depths of her brokenness. She told them, I don't want you to call me Naomi any longer. Naomi is a Hebrew word that means sweet. Uh, amen. She said, instead of calling me Naomi, I want you to call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. What she was saying was, uh, amen, when I went out, I was sweet. Uh, but when I'm coming back in. I'm bitter and I'm broken. Uh, and then she lamented. She said to those women, she said, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me home again empty. And she said these words, she said, the Lord hath testified against me. The Almighty has afflicted me. Now, at the end of the story, the friends are back. This time they've come to remind Naomi God never forgot her. God never abandoned her. He didn't leave her. Amen. She and her husband left God. They went from Bethlehem to Moab. They, they left the presence of God. They left the blessings of God. And Moab was a costly detour in her life. Uh, it cost her dearly. Uh, but now that she has returned, uh, now that she's come back, uh, amen, the Lord's not holding a grudge against her. Amen. He has provided for her a kinsman. Now, if you remember, the whole story has revolved around a kinsman for Ruth. But that's not the kinsman that we're talking about now. Amen. That's not the kinsman these women are referring to. When they say the Lord has not left her without a kinsman, they're making reference to the child that has been born. That child will be Naomi's redeemer. He will be the one who will provide for her future. Amen. He is the one. Remember the Leviterate law. The first child of Ruth and Boaz is considered to be the child of Malon. That would make him her grandson. Amen. And he would carry on the lineage of Elimelech. He will carry the line of Elimelech. So in an important sense, this child is not just God's gift to Ruth and Boaz. This child is God's gift to Naomi. Amen. He's going to carry on her line. He's going to bear the responsibility for her well-being. Uh, amen. And his name will be famous in Israel. I'm reminded of another child. And I've told you so many times this story reflects the the story of Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded of another child who was a redeemer and whose name was famous. The angel stood before Joseph and told him, Mary has conceived a child of the Holy Ghost. That which is conceived within her 
is holy. It's a conception that is a gift from God. Now, it may not look like a gift in the beginning. Amen. Can you imagine your, your, your wife, the betrothed, the love of your life, the one that you're going to marry? She's pregnant. And it's God's gift to you. Aren't you? Sometimes God's gifts come in strange packages. Amen. And, and I know there's going to be a lot of heartache associated with that gift. I know there's going to be a lot of pain. And, and there's going to be a lot of those accusing stares and glances. And, and people are going to look at them in that sidelong manner and judge them. Amen. And call them liars. Uh, amen. But it's God's gift to them. Amen. Because in the end, uh, that gift is going to be the redeemer that redeems the whole world. Uh, that gift is going to be the redeemer that not just blesses them, but blesses everyone. Amen. That child would become Joseph's redeemer, not just his redeemer, but ours as well. And through Jesus Christ and an old rugged cross, redemption would be purchased for you and for me. And it, it, it would take that, that redemption and that blood of Jesus Christ turns the foreigner into an heir of the promise of God. It takes the bitter Mara and turns her back to sweet Naomi. Amen. It'll take whatever condition you find yourself in this morning, and it'll transform it into something beautiful. That's what redemption does. God specializes in good endings. Amen. Verse 15 says, And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. So the first line of this verse presents a stark contrast to Naomi's bitter declaration at the beginning of the story. All this not lost. She who came back empty is now full again. This child will be to her the restorer of life. Uh, amen. The nourisher of her old age. Uh, in the beginning of the story, Naomi had bitterly accused God of emptying her life and robbing her of her husband and her two sons. But now these women console her. She may have lost her sons, uh, but she's gained a daughter-in-law. And what a daughter-in-law Ruth is. Because Ruth has loved her. Amen. And that love that Ruth has shown to Naomi is one of the most dramatic demonstrations of genuine biblical love. Amen. John said, greater love hath no man than this. That he would lay down his life for another. Amen. Ruth's love was a self-sacrificing love. Amen. She gave of herself. Uh, she demonstrated her love by becoming a gleaner in the field. She put herself in the lowest station of life. And now God has elevated her and God has lifted her up. Uh, but the, the women are, 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 are telling Naomi it's her great love that is a testimony of her valuable state to you. The reference to seven sons reflects the ancient Israelite view that an ideal family consisted of seven sons. That was supposed to have been the best. That was the ideal. If you had seven sons, I thought two was good. Amen. My checkbook thought two was good. But seven sons was supposed to have been the ideal family. But these women, they say to Naomi, thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee is better to you than seven sons. 
That's a significant statement. That's an amazing affirmation of the character of Ruth. All of Bethlehem, we, we heard earlier in the story, all of Bethlehem knew that she was a noble woman. But these women place her, her value above that of seven sons. Now, in a culture, you got to remember, in a culture where women had no value, in a culture where women were subordinate in every sense of the word, almost as if they were property, this woman is exalted as being more valuable than seven sons. That's a tremendous statement of, of the character of Ruth. And what these ladies are telling Naomi is that in Ruth, she has gained more than she lost in Moab. Moab cost her. Moab was an expensive diversion. But in the end, uh, what she's gained uh, is greater than what she's lost. You know, sometimes you go through some things uh, that take away from you. Amen. They debilitate you. They, they rob good things out of your life. And you can spend the rest of your life lamenting what you've lost. Uh, or you can take a hold of the grace of God and discover that which is greater than that which you've lost. Uh, amen. What he does to you in the latter end uh, will be greater than what you had in the former. Uh, what he does at the end of the story will be better than the beginning of the story. Amen. Verse 16 says, And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. It's a pretty straightforward verse. It just says that Naomi took the child and she loved it. She, she held it to her chest and she became its nanny. Amen. She got to be the one that spoiled it. And that child, when it comes into the arms of Naomi and she holds it, in love, Naomi has come full cycle. She was empty, but now she's full. Amen. This is bringing the whole circle. Where we started in, in chapter 1, now we're coming to the conclusion in chapter 4, bringing the whole circle back together. She who was empty is now full again. She who had no sons now holds a, a baby to her chest. She who was destitute of hope and promise now has a redeemer. Amen. Now she has hope. Now there's one to carry the line into the future. Amen. She's full again. And verse 17 says, And the woman, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There's a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And that David is King David. So the story of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi comes to a fitting conclusion in, this, in the naming of the son born to Ruth. But that, that statement is another extraordinary statement for several reasons. This is the only place in the Old Testament where women took part in the naming of a child. The only place. I told you there wasn't a lot of standing. There wasn't a lot of status in society. This is the only place where they had any input. The only place in Scripture that records that. And these women, and the Bible calls them neighbors, uh, giving them a sense of familiarity. They're not just strangers from Bethlehem. They're, they're, they're close. They're family. These are the people who ran to meet Naomi when she came into town and said, is it really you? And these neighbors, they named him Obed. Now, that doesn't mean that Ruth and Boaz and Naomi didn't have any input on the name, but it, it does give some indication that this child is a gift of sorts, not just to Ruth and not just to Boaz and not just to Naomi, but to the whole community. Amen? And there's once again there the echo of Jesus Christ 
the angels told Mary and Joseph what his name would be. Amen. They said you're going to call him Jesus. Amen. That name that's above every other name. And that child whose name was given to them was more than just a gift to them. He was a gift to the whole world. So we see the narrator doesn't even understand this. The guy who's writing this is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The only reason he can write this that has insight into the future, has a prophetic sense to it, is because he's not writing from his carnal human knowledge. The all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And God has moved on this man. And he thinks he's writing the ending, the, the good ending to a great story. But what he's writing is a prophetic glimpse of the future. There's going to be another chapter. Amen. And his name is going to be given by angels. Uh, and he's a gift to the whole world. They named him Obed. Obed is a shortened form of Obadiah. And that name defines him as a worker or a servant, but it also identifies him as a worshiper. He is a servant. That name means the servant of the Lord. And that, that servant contains a sense of worshiper. He's a he's a worshiper of the Lord. And, and that's where the longer form, Obadiah, the latter half of Obadiah, brings that, that full sense into the name. But the narrator doesn't just stop with the giving of the name. He doesn't just stop with the, 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 the fact that he is a worshiper. He goes on to give the historical significance of this child. This, this is more than just a story about a Hebrew man and a Moabite girl who met, fell in love, and had a child. This is the story of the lineage of King David. For Obed is the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David. And what the Old Testament narrator could not tell you, because it had not happened yet, was that the promised Messiah, the king of all kings, would be born into that same lineage. Amen. Jesus Christ would come through the lineage of Ruth and Boaz. I know I haven't been real long this morning, but would you stand with me? The heartbeat of this story is the transformation of Ruth's status. This is really, from beginning to end, the common thread that ties this thing together is Ruth. She starts the story as a foreigner. She starts the story as an outsider. She starts the story as one who is not an heir to the promises of Abraham. Amen. Brother Larry, if you get Brother Ryan and let my wife know I'm finished. Amen. Then gradually, as the story unfolds, the narrator increases her status. Later, she's called a servant. It's a lowly servant. It's still not a high station in life. But it's a step up from being a foreigner and an outsider. Now she's a lowly servant. And then later still in the story, we see her called a handmaiden. And, and again, her, her status is shifting. We, uh, a handmaiden is still a servant. But it's a little higher up the ladder than a, a lowly servant. Uh, it's a higher social position. So all through the story, we've seen this progression. Uh, amen. First, she was a foreigner. The, the narrator calls her Ruth the Moabitess all the way through the story. He keeps reminding us of her heritage. She's an outsider. But then she's regarded by the women and the men of Bethlehem of, as being of noble character. 
Amen. She's that that she begins to shed that that skin of an outsider. She can shed that reproach that comes. Listen, the people of Israel and the people of Moab didn't get alone. Amen. The Moabites tried to kill the Israelites. There wasn't any lo love lost between them. But over the course of the story, she begins to lose that identity. Amen. That 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 thing that is a turnoff, that thing that is is makes her separate, that thing that divides her from the people of God. And then finally she goes from being a handmaid to becoming a wife. Ruth the Moabitess. She who was a stranger from a strange land marries into the kingly lineage of Israel and becomes a joint heir of the promises of Abraham. And that is as tremendous as a, of a story as you can come up with. But that's not the end of the story. She gives birth to a son who is the grandfather of King David, the greatest king of all of Israel's history. And the lineage of David will produce the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Ruth not only became heir to the promises of Abraham, she became a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. God takes this foreigner, this stranger, this outsider, this one that is in many ways repugnant to the society of Bethlehem, and he grafts her in, not just into the community, not just into the family, but into the lineage of the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. Can I tell you something? Before God made heaven and earth, uh, he had already planned uh, this great Savior, amen, this great salvation. He already knew there was going to be an old rugged cross. Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. That tells me that before God made Adam and Eve, he already knew the lineage of Jesus Christ. Uh, and he planned from the beginning that this Moabite, this foreigner, this stranger, this outsider will become a part of the most important lineage of Scripture. Ruth's story is an important story. It's not just a, a fairy tale that we tell and just a love story that is, that is pleasant to read. It's a story that gives us an example. It declares to you and me that this present status of our life doesn't have to be the final word on our lives. Amen. This doesn't have to be the end of your story. As long as grace is flowing from the cross, as long as the blood of Jesus is cleansing hearts and lives, there is a promise uh, that your story uh, can have a good ending too. Amen. As long as we can remember, amen, there was a little girl uh, who was an outsider. Uh, she was a stranger and a foreigner from a culture that was against everything uh, that Israel stood for. Uh, but God took her uh, and he transformed her and he made her a member of his family uh, and if he'll do that for her he'll do that for me and he'll do that for you and if her story has a good ending then your story can too amen I recognize I'm preaching mostly to the choir this morning but I ask you if you'd come and find a place of prayer for a few moments and just turn your heart towards heaven and whatever it is that 
wherever you are in your story, the negatives, the valleys, the low points, whatever it is that, that causes you to stop and question the grace and the mercy of God or, or the provision of God, I want you to give that to the Lord and tell him, Lord, I don't know how but I trust you've got a good ending. I don't know how, God. I don't have to even see how. I don't have to even understand how, but I trust you, Lord, that you've got a good ending for my story. I trust you, Lord, uh, that you're going to bring this thing to a conclusion uh, that gives you glory and honor. I turn it over to you, God. Could you just surrender some things into his hands this morning? In Jesus' name.